Good morning, church. What a blessing it is to be here to read the word. I just can't tell you how much joy it really gives me. That's from the Holy Spirit. Who do you say that Jesus is? This morning, our study in Mark 2, 1 through 12, reveals Jesus as more than a healer. Jesus is God, who alone can save through the forgiveness of sins. Jesus invites you to trust his grace and to share urgency in bringing people to his love. Will you open your heart to the forgiveness of Jesus? Hear the word of the Lord. Mark 2, 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in their hearts that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question those things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified, God saying, we never saw anything like this. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, but Amen. Thank you all very much. <clears throat> Good morning, church. Now keep your Bibles open if you're there. Carl, thanks for reading. I'm just going to go on record, Carl, and say I would love to have like a little Carl bobblehead right by my bed. So that every morning when I woke up, I would just hear Carl's voice. This is the day the Lord has made. You will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, uh, what, a, uh, what a gift it is to study God's word together um, is I... Uh, covet Carl's voice, uh, I will just remind you, uh, we live in a culture that the voice of our society is really crying out for healing and for hope. And as we study uh, this passage this morning, we're going to see that Christ offers the ultimate healing and hope that all of our hearts are longing for. And centered uh, in the hope is the forgiveness of sins that only he can give because he is God. So before we study the word of the Lord together, will you join me in going to uh, the Lord of the word in prayer and asking for his mercy? Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word. As we come to you, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would use your word to do surgery on our hearts. Uh, Many of us, Lord, all of us, need a deeper encounter with who you've revealed yourself to be, you are God, and the promises that you offer forgiveness of sins. No matter where our circumstances are this morning, Lord, that bring us to your feet and give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see and hearts to receive, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, jump back to the beginning of Mark, we have been uh, looking through Lent and, and Easter, uh, look, and then finishing last week the Passover plan, the, the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we're going back to the beginning of Mark, just a, just a quick reminder what Mark 1 was about. It was an introduction to Jesus as king, an inauguration of him and his kingdom, and then demonstration of the power of the king and his kingdom over over all the authorities of uh, the world, particularly uh, unseen authorities in Mark chapter 1. As we get to Mark chapter 2, we begin to encounter opposition to the kingdom. Uh, We see it uh, clearly in this passage, verses 6 and 7, the the scribes who are there. Uh, We know from Luke's account of this story that also Pharisees were there, other teachers of the law. Uh, They were questioning Jesus in their hearts, and there was this subtle, unseen opposition. If you have your Bibles open and you look down at at chapter 3, verse 6, you see this, this begins to crescendo into a greater confrontation. It says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, that's Jesus, considering how to destroy Jesus. And so we're heading into a section of Mark where the opposition to the king and his kingdom and his teaching is really clear. But here it's the scribes, it's the teachers of the laws, the Pharisees, that help fill out the crowd that actually fills the house. This is a fascinating story. But these teachers of the law, the scribes, they have hard hearts. And they don't want to receive the teaching of the king. But there is a group that has fertile hearts. And people from all around were filling out this house. I mean, we see from other accounts of the, uh, and other gospels of this same story that people came from all over the region And they were filling out this house in Capernaum. Now, it's clear in this passage that the the place where Jesus is preaching and teaching from is called home. Uh, Capernaum was his home base. This probably wasn't his home. I'm going to call it Peter's house because it makes a lot of sense in the larger narrative. We're unsure exactly uh, what he was preaching on. I'm going to sanctify, speculate uh, that he was teaching on the forgiveness of sins because it just really, it was a real cool uh, way that that would dovetail into the narrative. But what we do know is that he was interrupted while he was teaching in this packed house. It was, it was so full, there was no room to come in the door. It was so full, you, you couldn't climb through the windows. It was so full, it was spillover. Clearly, no fire marshal and obviously no COVID social distance restrictions in this place. Jesus was preaching to a packed house, and they came. These these guys are nameless, but they came carrying another nameless person, a paralytic. He couldn't walk or move. He couldn't provide for his family. He couldn't work. He was carried by his friends. They came to the house. They couldn't get in. 
So maybe they took stairs and went up the side and got on the roof of the house. Maybe they went next door to the house that was next to them and it had stairs and then they hopped over. I don't know. But they got on the roof of the house where Jesus was teaching. The passage says, uh, literally in Greek, that they unroofed the roof. Uh, Luke uses a imagery of pulling back tiles, which could have been the case because Capernaum was an affluent area and maybe they had mud-baked tiles that were on the top of the roof, but the roof had to be thick. It had wooden beams that held the, uh, the structure of, of mud and sticks and leaves, a, a thick mixture, strong enough to support five grown men. And as Jesus is teaching, these men start digging pulling tiles back, making noise, unroofing the roof. And I, I want you to use your imagination, sitting there listening to someone talk, and above your head, you, you start hearing a boom. I mean, that's distracting. If you've ever tried to talk to a group and there's uh, construction going on outside, it's difficult to focus. But the roof was rocking. Dust started falling. A hole opened. And a body dropped. I, it's crazy to think about what came down from heaven. And I imagine that as the roof was unroofed and pulled back and people were looking clear in dust, they saw these four eyes, or four eyes, eight eyes, unless they were all cyclopses. I don't think so. I think they saw eight eyes of four people who looked over and they were excited. I mean, think about it. Right, you're gambling, you're going up on a roof, you're unroofing the roof, and you look down, and you're like, yes, right above Jesus' head, nailed it. And they lower their friend. I don't know if they had ropes, I don't know if it was like a quick drop, like he's paralyzed, it's not gonna hurt that bad anyway. I don't know. But they got Jesus down. I mean, they got the man down right in front of Jesus. And look at what the passage says. They came and they could not get near him because of the crowd. They removed, they unroofed the roof above him and they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Verse five, and Jesus saw their faith. It's amazing that Jesus, is it, Jesus doesn't say, wow, that's not very nice to do to Peter's house. It's not very hospitable to rip apart somebody's roof. He, I mean, he sees their faith. There is an element where we should not only note, but also be inspired and celebrate the urgency that these friends had. It's not the focus of the passage, but the focus isn't going to be highlighted unless we have friends that know Jesus is the only hope. It is true that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity, that if he's the only hope for salvation, if Jesus is the only hope for victory, if Jesus is the only hope for restoration, if Jesus is the only hope for rescue, then you're going to prioritize everything to get someone you love to his feet. So we should celebrate the urgency of these men. I, I'm reminded of a, of a, of a garden figure now, I'm fascinated by what I'm going to tell you. Uh, I realized this when I was reading something a few weeks ago. St. Francis of Assisi. Y'all know who he is? Yeah, raise your hand. Yeah, uh, raise your hand just out of curiosity. Do, do you or one of your neighbors have a statue of St. Francis in your garden, in your yard? Anybody? 
Okay, a lot, a lot of you do, some of you do. We actually have one in the courtyard out there. It's interesting when I said, do you know who St. Francis is? A lot of hands went up and then I was like, uh, do you have one in your garden? And, and a lot of hands went down and people were shaking their head yes. It's okay, you don't need to be ashamed of that. <laughs> but here's what's interesting. We associate uh, St. Francis um, with nature and animals and, and being an animal lover and we should. He was absolutely a man of peace. But you know who really that little statued man is that's in so many different yards and gardens? He was a passionate missionary to Muslims. Did you know that? It's unbelievable that in 12, uh, the year was 28, that it was Pope Gregory IX. Uh, when the Crusades had been happening for over a century, and the Crusades, in case you don't know, is this tragic part of Christian history when we actually sent militant people to go overtake the Holy Land to reclaim it, and they did so through literal war and literal bloodshed. It went on for decades and decades after this as well. And, and, and Pope Gregory IX, he wanted a peaceful solution, and so uh, St. Francis had a reputation he was a lover of people. And he and some of his friars were sent as missionaries to try to convert the Sultan of Egypt. It's really amazing to me that St. Francis was a passionary missionary, passionate missionary to Muslims. We should celebrate going to love to try to bring other people to Christ. In case you don't know, this is the month of Ramadan. It's the holy month for Muslims in our city and around the world. And we are as a church praying for Muslims to feel and experience the emptiness of what they are believing and celebrating. That they might have a deeper hunger and longing for Christ who can only give them what they're looking for. He's the only one. He's the only hope. If you want a prayer guide to join us, we have some that are located on tables out there. I had one to bring in with you and I left it on my desk. Um, but there are some out there. Please grab them. They're free of charge from us to you. There's only one word for that. That word is value. That's right. So grab one. But St. Francis went before there were strategic initiatives to reach unreached people groups like we have now. St. Francis and his friars went because they wanted to capture the hearts of Muslim in the context of literal wars, culture wars that were happening. Uh, they went and they followed in the footprints of Jesus into fields and homes and marketplaces and vineyards. And uh, one uh, historian says that with humility and sincere piety, they dispensed their message of joy and holy living that is only found in Christ. And he, if you know anything about uh, St. Francis' missionary strategy, he always talked about the priority of sharing Christ with your life more than using your lips. Uh, it's been attributed to him as saying that uh, preach Christ at all times and if necessary, use words. That's given to St. Frank. So, but I thought I would share a quote that he uh, taught his friars in one of his uh, Benedictine rules. It should be uh, right up there as, as they were going to, to love on missionary, uh, Muslims as missionaries in a very hostile environment. This is one thing that he wrote. How hard did they, how hard did they go? How hard did they try? Listen to this. He says, my brothers, let us pay attention to what the Lord says. 
Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. For our Lord Jesus Christ, whose footprints we must follow, called his betrayer a friend and willingly offered himself to his executioners. Our friends, therefore, are those who unjustly inflict upon us distress and anguish, shame and injury, sorrow and punishment, martyrdom and death. We must love them greatly. (laughs) That is a passionate heart to bring people to Jesus. And those are the words that those, the little statue person that you see all the time, he spoke those to people who followed him. Let's be reminded when we see those statues of the call that we have as God's people to carry people to the feet of Jesus for healing. You see, if we really believe that Jesus is our only hope, then we will go to great lengths to make sure others come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I hope we can at least pray for the Muslim world. Uh, uh, But our neighbors and every neighborhood of our city are crying out for healing right now. Let's get back to our passage, back down to verse five. Jesus has said, he says, saw their faith. He said to the, the guy, son, Your sins are forgiven. Now, imagine you're back in the room. The man is dropped down, lowered before the feet of Jesus. And you know Jesus is a healer. You've seen him heal. You've heard about his healings. And he looks down and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait wait a minute. Don't you see that, that that guy's paralyzed? Like, he can't walk. Son, your sins are forgiven are forgiven. Well, who can forgive sins but God alone? You're a teacher. You travel around. You're a rabbi. Son, your sins are forgiven. But is this, is this an object lesson? Is Jesus just making a point right now? I mean, why is he taking the focus off the drama of the moment and introducing something that nobody was thinking about? unless Jesus was teaching it. Son, your sins are forgiven. You see, the main import of this passage, it isn't that people carried a paralyzed man to Jesus. Yes, that's important. And yes, we need to be urgent about that. But the main message is that Jesus is God and he can forgive sins. That's the climax of this story. Only God can forgive sins. This is against what Mormons teach. It's against what Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Jesus is God. And it's against what the scribes themselves believed. Because they knew in the Old Testament that the only person that can forgive sins is God alone. Jesus makes this divine claim and he points to a deeper need. And you say, well, Mitchell, I I don't know if that's really the climax of the story. I mean, there were people here watching a paralyzed man that was able to walk. I mean, don't you think that's the climax? Look down. Let's see what the text says in verse 10. And Jesus, uh, we'll start at verse eight. He immediately perceived in his spirit that those that were the scribes, they were questioning within themselves. And he said, why do you question these things in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven, or rise and take up your mat and walk? Look at verse 10. So that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You see, the healing, the amazing miracle, is like a sign that points to a greater reality. I have a dog, a retriever. When I throw a ball for my dog, he goes and gets it. That's why they're called retrievers. He brings it back. He retrieves it. But when I throw the ball and he doesn't see where the ball goes, he's still looking at me. I point and say, go get the ball, Java. Go get the ball. He just watches my hand. Go get the ball. Go get the ball. And we're like dogs sometimes. We just look at the sign because we have such an urgent felt need for physical healing. We have such an urgent felt need for emotional healing. We have such an urgent felt need from the paralysis that is in our souls that we miss the whole meat of the message. Jesus is God. He came to earth and he can deal with the issues of our hearts that circumstances will pull up. He can deal with the real, real struggles of our souls. And we'll unpack how he can do that in a minute. But I want you to see how people reacted. In verse 12, the man who was paralyzed, he rose up, he immediately picked up his bed, and he went out before them all. It's unbelievable. I mean, they made room for him then. Could you imagine that place where nobody could get in? All of a sudden, this man stands up. He takes his mat, and people are like, oh, my, whoa, whoa. And this guy dances out of there. That's amazing. And then look at the other reactions. They were all amazed and glorified God, and they said, we've never seen anything like this. It's amazing. But not everybody. Some people, that hardened their heart. And this is an amazing true story. It challenges us on an individual and a corporate level. Let's look at some of the ways uh, that we get challenged by this. I'm going to ask you, as you look through this passage, who do you identify? There's a contrast of characters that I think can reveal whether your heart is fertile to receive the message of God, that Jesus is God, and, and, and the message of God that he can forgive your sins, that this miracle can authenticate him as a messenger in the message, or whether or not your heart is hard. And that you might be in a place where you come here this morning and you're like, man, I don't really need forgiveness from God. I don't know. You know, Christians are always talking about, you know, God's holy. I need to confess my sin. But I mean, come on. It's just really hocus pocus, right? It's just something people come to on Sunday mornings every now and then. Is that where your heart is? Look at the different characters in the passage. There's the urgency of the friends. They desperately wanted their friend to be healed by Jesus. They really believed that Jesus was a solution. And then there's the complacency of the scribes. They sat there evaluating the whole scenario. Can you imagine? Someone was lame, put before his feet, and then could walk, and they're sitting there questioning how they can figure out a way to kill him. 
That's self-righteousness and judgment at its best. And before we throw stones, I think we can identify sometimes when we see the movement of God, we will mock it and say, although, you know, come on, it's, it's 2021. You really still believe in God? Come on, man. We do the same thing. But then there's, then there's a man who actually needs help and he's paralyzed. And I'm going to say that I identify with this guy completely. I don't stand here before you unless my friends carried me to the feet of Jesus. I'm a sinner who needs forgiveness. I'm a broken man who needs healing and hope. I was dead in my trespasses of sins. And it wasn't until friends of mine took me to Christ where I was able to be made alive together with Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit in me to walk in a newness of life. It's only by grace that I have been saved through faith, not of any work. I have no room to boast. It's a free gift of God. I was that paralyzed man. And then there's that crowd who was there, the non-scribe and teacher of the law crowd. These guys, they left singing and glorifying God, praising him. So this morning, whether you come here with faith or with fear, maybe you come here with courage or cowardice, uh, maybe you have frustration, or maybe you're here in a posture of investigation, you need to know where you stand with Jesus. Do you have your faith in him? Do you trust him? No matter what your circumstance is, Do you trust Jesus? Because even the scribes who didn't amaze Jesus with their faith, right? They had their faith in something. Everybody's got their faith in something, in someone, in something. The question really is for us, is it in Jesus and on Jesus? Secondly, I think we can learn a lot from uh, what I'm going to call a contrast of expectations. Here's what I mean by this. Oftentimes, if you do believe Jesus is God and you do believe he's real, uh, he really existed, he really is who he said he was, and he did what he said he, uh, what he, said he was going to do, and his promises are true, oftentimes we have this um, uh, consumeristic mentality where we see Jesus as a means to an end, right? He's just another option that we use. When this doesn't work, uh, I'm going to try Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't work, I'm going to try something else, right? And, and these men, they came to Jesus looking for help and for healing. Uh, oftentimes we go to Jesus if we need help on an exam, uh, if we need strength through a season of tr- uh, struggles, we need some sort of help in, in hard times, and we rightfully Go to Jesus during those times. But if that is all that Jesus is to you, then you're missing the main message of Christianity. Christianity doesn't exist so that you can have your best life now. Christianity, Jesus came so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And it could be that whatever circumstances you find yourself in that are driving you to go to Jesus for help uh, or for strength or, or for hope, like those circumstances are actually being used by God so that you can hear the main message he has for your heart. The bottom line, God created humanity to be in relationship and fellowship with him, but we rebelled against God and our sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, two says that our iniquities, our sin has made a separation that a holy God cannot have fellowship with an unholy people, plain and simple. 
But God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his only son. He sent Jesus that while we were his enemies, he showed his love for us by dying for us. That the wages of sin, we earned death from our sin, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all rejected God's design and disobeyed his law. And because God loves us, he, he invites us into relationship. Only when we can experience the forgiveness of God that comes through the work of Jesus Christ can we have the secure identity that we're looking for, the relationships in our life that, that can really find the strength and, and reconciliation that we want. The purpose only when we understand the, the forgiveness we have in Christ can we find the true purpose that Christ has for us, the strength of family and the security, the sense of worth. Those are all core issues of what we're all longing for. And Jesus knows the main thing that's separating you from really trusting him. And he wants to heal it. Could it be that the circumstances of your life that are so out of your control that can be so difficult that like these men who brought this man to Jesus, are those just bringing you to Jesus so that you can hear a greater message? In him, you can find forgiveness. This is the teaching of all of scripture. Jesus forgives sin so that all of us can begin again. Look at some of these verses. I'm gonna run through these really quickly. God alone can cover our sin. And these all have verses beside them. I'm not going to read all those verses. I just want these truths to wash over you. God alone can wash away your guilt. All of us feel a sense of guilt. God alone can take that away. God alone can cleanse you and make you pure. God alone removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. Completely away. You know, if you go north, eventually you're going to start going south. But if you go east, you'll never start going west. And for God to remove your sins as far as the east is from the west, it is to totally remove them. Isaiah 38 says that God hides your sin behind his back. He can't even see it no more. Jeremiah 31, 34, God remembers your sin no more. Micah 7, 19, God hurls your sin into the depth of the sea. And Corey Tim Boom would add, and he puts up a sign that says, no fishing. They're gone. We're forgiven because what Paul says in Colossians 2.14, he's nailed our sins to the cross. Penalty paid. Righteous record given so that you can begin again. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus became sin so that we in Christ might become the righteousness of God. Is it that God is using your struggles to bring him to Jesus, to bring him to his feet so that you can hear a deeper, more important message that in Jesus Christ you can be forgiven? Your sins are forgiven. He's really God. And he really paid for our sins on the cross. In that, when we really believe that, then I think we can join the chorus, the story of glory. Because when that man got up off the mat... And all the place started being in astonishment and amazement. They were glorifying God. I'm convinced uh, that 
We can cultivate glory when we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins. And I hope that we can be a place where we really cultivate glory. What does that mean? That means we turn from our self-righteousness. You can't pay for your sins. You can only put your faith in Christ, who's lived the life that you could never live, and he died the death you deserve to die. To cultivate glory is to open your heart to the unconditional love and forgiveness that Christ offers you. I'm reminded of the need of this in two ways this week. First, the response from last week's sermon has been astounding to me. In the depth of people's hearts, where they need to hear that declaration. In Christ, you are forgiven. I'm, I'm amazed by that. I've had so many communications, electronic, over the phone, and face-to-face, -face, where that truth has just had to wash over people. And I know it's a deep need for all of us. We need to be forgiven. But there's a second thing that really nailed me this week. Uh, you heard Becky mention that it's Confirmation Week, right? And we celebrated 30 different faith statements on Monday night at our officers meeting. It was beautiful. And one of those stuck out to me like a thorn. And it actually happened, uh, our, our confirmands were all in eighth grade. It actually happened on a wildlife retreat. It's a, a young life ministry to middle schoolers. And this is how our new member, young lady, told the story. Uh, she said she was at this wildlife camp and, and she uh, heard a message and was sent outside and it was cold. And she went outside so that she could consider the message. And as she was sitting out there shivering, it was uh, the first time that she had really experienced the grace of God on just a personal level. When she asked for forgiveness for her sins, the Holy Spirit convicted her and she was shivering and she believed what she heard and she asked for forgiveness and the imagery just astounded me. She said that her shivering physical body was physically warmed as she felt the love of God wash over her. And I'm just running into people all week who need that warm, refreshing reality. I don't know, I wrestled with this. How do we create space? in this place, in this moment, where all of us who have been sinned against, we've all been hurt, and we know the difficulty of giving forgiveness. But how do we create this space where we really hear and believe that the messenger, Jesus Christ, is God, and that his message is true? How do we move from a, a place of paralysis to a walking in a newness of life? How do we move from this place of complacency to courage, where we can be honest with our own sin and our own struggle and even move out in compassion towards others? It happens when we allow ourselves to give our hearts to Jesus. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna give us this space right now. I'm gonna lead us in prayer. And I know everyone in here needs forgiveness. Some of you have never trusted Jesus for forgiveness in your life. You have done something that you never thought you'd do. You have a period of your life that anytime it comes up, you just hide your eyes. 
or some of you are dealing with the consequences of your sin and you're wondering if you're ever going to break the cycle of shame. There's only one way to do it. And that's to really give your heart to the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to pause and we're going to sing together. If you want to pray with me, please do. If you are dealing with difficulties in your life and you have real struggles that... uh, (laughs) you know are driving you to Jesus, we're going to have a few people up here that want to pray with you. Pam will be up right here. um, And Mark will be over here. Pam, you'll come over here. We'll have people that want to pray with you. And if you are struggling receiving forgiveness, uh, then come. No judgment, totally confidential. James 5 uh, says that if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, then you'll have healing. We're in this together. So I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to sing. If you want to pray with me, please do. Uh, We'll stand up as we reflect and then we'll close. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reality of your promises and just come to you confessing that oftentimes our heart is cold and our lives are shivering from uh, the isolation that we allow ourselves to be in from sin. We thank you that you are a God who is light and you show us through the warmth of your love in the Son, Jesus Christ, the, the power of forgiveness to transform us. Lord, we confess that we've allowed ourselves to be distracted by the signs, uh, that we've allowed ourselves to be imprisoned by our anger, our fear, our pain, our self-righteousness, and our own sense of shame. And we come to you this morning and ask that you would wash us with your forgiveness. And I'm gonna pray, Lord, and I'm gonna ask that your Holy Spirit would touch hearts that have been dead, that you would touch hearts that have been cold. Holy Spirit, that you would bring a warmth and a newness of life. And for those of of you in here that need to experience the forgiveness of Jesus in a fresh way, then please pray this with me. Lord, I believe that you are God. I believe that you came and you lived the perfect life that I could never live. Lord, I am a sinner and I deserve to die, but I believe that you died in my place and that your blood can cleanse me of my sin and my unrighteousness. Lord, please forgive me. Please wash me with your blood. Please create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill my life and that you would use me to carry others to you that we might walk in obedience. Thank you for hearing my prayer that I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.